Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 10 of The Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you like the show, we'd uh, really appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and give us a review in iTunes. Today's podcast is sponsored once again by Ruby Receptionists. You can sign up for a free 14-day trial at callruby.com slash lawyerist, and Ruby will waive the setup fee if you decide to become a customer. Okay, Sam, so this week there were three unrelated articles that I think we can probably tie together into a little discussion. Uh, The American Lawyer published an article talking about how law school admissions are down simultaneously Law schools are accepting students with lower and lower LSAT scores. Uh, Bloomberg just reported that two law schools are considering or have decided to drop the LSAT as a requirement for admission. And the Wall Street Journal had an article about how the bar exam is getting harder this week for the February 2015 bar exam for the first time in a long time. And it seems like there might be a trend here that law school is going to reduce its admission standards at the same time that the profession may be tightening its standards. That's interesting. I try and figure out what the implications of that might be. Well, okay, so let's, maybe we can kick one of these right out the door because it sounds to me like the, uh, the ratcheting up of the LSAT requirement is really just an extra section on civil procedure, federal civil procedure, right? The bar exam. I'm sorry, the bar exam. Yes. Which isn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's actually ratcheting up the... the. So so it's going from six sections or six topics you need to memorize for the MBE up to seven, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's not the end of the world, but it's potentially a 10 or 15% uh, more difficult MBE now in the face of scores going down down across the nation in the past year um, and at a time where a bunch of people think the traditional method of the bar exam is kind of dumb anyway. Yeah, which true. I mean, the upside is I think uh, making the bar exam harder is a good thing. Uh, In too many states, it probably is too easy. Um, We live in a state, for example, where bar pass rates are crazy high. So that used to be the case. That isn't the case in the last 12 months. Isn't it? Well, and no. part of that, so though, is that everybody's... across the board around the nation, scores went, or pass rates went down 5 to 15% in many states in the last 12 months because they've been changing the bar exam. Well, I think that's probably also due to the fact that law schools were admitting tons and tons of people for the last, you know, I don't know, five years or whatever. So... Uh, you objectively have less well-qualified people graduating and taking the bar exam. So when you add those things up... So I think that's more or less empirically untrue, which is during the peak of the law school admissions bubble in, let's call it, 09 to 11, 
standards were actually at their highest because there was so much demand to go to grad school to stay out of the economy that average LSATs and average GPAs were at their peak and law school admissions were the most competitive while still being the highest ever. And it's now that they're sinking that standards are lowering. So we ju- so we recently had a bunch of really smart people go to law school, and it was a complete waste because employment was at an all-time low when they graduated, and so none of them were able to get jobs. Yes, and they were there for the wrong reasons. And the market did what the market does, which was swing the other way, and now nobody's going to law school except people who aren't smart enough to know better. Yes. <laughs> and, and we're going to do our damnedest to keep them out even more. Wow. I mean, having a dumber legal profession is not good, obviously. I'm not right. sure that that's actually what this means, but yeah, I mean, it's that's not a good idea. Well, these are the, the future law students, the future lawyers are the people who are going to be, in theory, upholding justice and truth and the american way and democracy and all that and the dumber they are the harder the worse that's going to be for everybody yeah and let's be really clear that if you score a 145 on the lsat that does not mean you are necessarily a dumb person no of course not um but yeah that's that's i i mean i think the end result of all of this seems to be uh we can expect over the next x number of years the number of lawyers getting licensed every year to get cut down in a significant way. Who knows if that's 10 or 20%, but it's doesn't that you have fewer people going to law school, which means fewer people are graduating. The, the test scores and admissions criteria are, you know, have gone down and you've got a harder bar exam. So doesn't that, that seems right. We're graduating. I, I think this, in two years, I think we'll graduate something like 38,000 people. Um, you know, maybe maybe we're not looking at more than 60 or 70% of them actually getting licensed now. Right. That'd be interesting. And the question that I have not yet figured out is whether this is bottom. You mean whether the, the whether number the, of graduates... The pendulum has fully swung. Uh, I would say admissions. Yeah, the... I mean, I think the measure is law school admissions because those track fairly cleanly through the next three years and then to try to take the bar exam. But, sure. Well, and then um, you and then you have things like the, the William Mitchell Hamlin merger, which we haven't really talked about on Lawyerist, but it's been it's a big deal and it's happened elsewhere. Part of the reason for that was that school those both of those schools were having trouble getting students in the classroom. They were having trouble finding enough qualified students to show up. So. Yeah, even even after they merge next year, assuming it goes through, the merged class will still be substantially smaller than either of them was during the bubble. Yeah, and and you know we we're looking at I think Cooley closed one of its campuses or something like that, and so, um, you know the I think that the one of the overall questions is what's going to happen with law schools. Everybody either thinks or hopes that we're going to start losing some of the law schools that aren't as important or as valuable that are resemble diploma mills more than 
<laughs> than good education. And uh, and it seems like that's the next piece of the market adjustment is losing some law schools or some more law schools anyway. Yeah, I don't see how that doesn't continue. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that is an interesting piece of news. I'm not sure if I think it's a good or a bad thing or I think I guess I think it's probably more of a mixed thing. So. So I'll segue to today's interview, uh, which is with David Sparks, who I am really excited to be talking to. David is a lawyer, a Mac user, and he is a productivity geek. So we will have lots to talk about. Here's that interview. Hi, David. Hi, Sam. So David is the, uh, are you the CEO of Mac Sparky? Broom pusher, CEO, and everything in between. As well as uh, newly solo, and as is my habit on our podcast, I'm going to let you give your own bio, and it's my understanding that you may be a little out of practice with your current bio. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> well, I'm an attorney. I've, I've been practicing 21 years now, and I've uh, been a firm guy for most of the, well, all of those years up until last week, I, I went out and I hung my shingle. So that's my thing. I'm a business attorney out in California, in Southern California, and I'm also a geek. And over the years, I've kind of grown a separate publishing business where I write books about using technology, uh, not necessarily aimed at lawyers, but just people in general who want to get better at productivity, uh, primarily using the Apple devices. And I have a website called MaxSparky.com where all that stuff happens. And I think it's cool that you have built Mac Sparky up to be a website for Mac lovers, not just a website for Mac loving lawyers. Yeah, that was a, a really actually an early decision of mine because I I, um, I think the stuff I talk about is a lot more useful to a much bigger audience than just lawyers. Although I have a lot of lawyers that follow me and, and read my books. Yeah, you know I'm a I'm a fairly recent Mac convert. I'm a I basically get bored with operating systems, and so for the, about the last two years, I've been using a Mac, and I'm really. I remember. It. Yeah, you've very publicly talked about your switch. I remember. I think I even sent you an email at one point. Absolutely, yeah, that was much appreciated, and it's been good. I really enjoy using Macs, and I've gone full in. I've got an iPad and an iPhone, and I've got a Mac Mini that I'm using right now, and I have a MacBook Pro, and so I'm, you know, I have more than I need. Well, the you know the funny thing is when when I was a kid. You know, having an operating system by and a hardware by one developer made it significantly better. Um, as we've got older, uh, Microsoft Windows is, is really good now. I mean, it's a lot better than it used to be, in my opinion. And more importantly, most of these services have gone to the web. So the, not only is the operating systems a lot closer, although I obviously prefer the Mac, the, uh, the operating systems are a lot less relevant than they once were. Well, and I think the the software is too. You know, when I switched to Mac, there were there really weren't very many things that I had to find a new solution for, a new software product for. Mostly, I just installed Chrome and Skype and Microsoft Office and all of the things that I ordinarily use. So now, since then, I've picked up a few new things, and I'm gonna save the name checking our favorite apps for later. Okay, um, because I want to start out by talking about. First, congratulations on going solo, and then talk about kind of, so how, how are you doing that? You've left a big firm where you've been for a long time. Did you take clients with you, or what are you doing? It, yeah, I mean, it, it was a very amicable 
uh, separation. You know, we all get along really well. In fact, I was just talking to some of the old firm today about a shared client. Um, but you know, I was there a long time and it, it occurred to me at some point, and I'm not sure when that my ladder was no longer leaning against the wall of being, you know, a mucky muck at a big law firm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just didn't want to deal with the stuff that came with that. And more importantly, the, um, you know, the responsibilities of firm clients and, you know, all the stuff that the, we were doing at the firm was actively getting in the way of me servicing kind of the clients that I had grown and also the books that I write. So I found myself at that really weird spot where I had to make a decision. And in fact, I actually realized I had made a decision because I was spending so much time with the firm stuff that all the other stuff was going, you know, south on me and I needed to just really, you know, face, confront that decision. And, uh, it, it was difficult, Sam, because on one side you've got a regular paycheck and benefits and, you know, all the things that you get used to, uh, when you work in a, in a bigger company. And then on the other side, you've got all this possibility, but you know, no assurance. And, uh, I was even surprised myself when I finally made the decision to say, okay, I'm going to head out, you know, my clients will come with me. So I'll have a, a, a decent sized practice to start, give myself a little bit more time to publish more books and kind of see where things go. And as we record this, I'm just a few days into it. Like literally like two or three days into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, you know, you have just done what a lot of firm lawyers ask me about and then don't do for one reason or another. And that's, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and Paul Floyd, who we've had on, says that those tend to fall around 10, 20 and 30 years. So I guess you've hit one almost on the head. Yeah. Uh, is going solo and trying to leverage 20 years of experience into a little boutique with maybe better hours or at least you get to determine your own hours. sort Yeah. Of. And you get to determine who you work with. And um, and I'm cheating a little bit because I have a separate successful business mm -hmm. that, frankly, I could earn a lot more money off of if I gave it a little more time. So it's um, I'm cheating. You know, <laughs> I've got I've got that other option. I know some people going out on their own don't have a separate uh, source of income. Right. Uh, so, I, it, you know, it's not you know, it's not hugely um uh, it, I'm not taking a huge risk by doing this, but at the same time, it is a risk, and and you just never know what the future holds, do you? Well, you don't. And although I think uh, I think a lot of the firm lawyers that I talk to are would be taking less of a risk than they think because they'd probably be able to take some clients with them. Um, they have 20 years of legal experience to fall back on, so they can worry about running a business uh, without worrying about becoming decent lawyers at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, so how are you going about going solo? You, I see you have a website already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. what else is, what else does the firm consist of at this point? Have well, you already formed a company and all that stuff? It's, um, it's actually an open question for me. I, you know, part of my practice is business law. I form companies all the time. However, um, it looks to me like in California, there's not a whole lot of reason for me to form a professional corporation. At this point, I'm going as a sole practitioner. Um, um, the, um, I have got a virtualized office space. I have not taken office space yet. I've just got a virtualized presence with conference room availability at a nice suite that I like. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a good address, and it's not too far from my home, so I can go in there when I need. 
Um, I, I probably will take an office in there at some point. I, I can already see even after a few days that I have enough work to easily afford it if I if I want. But um, having worked at an office for over 20 years, I'm kind of enjoying right now the home office situation. My kids are old enough that I can close the door in my home office and essentially be you know working on my own. Uh, I'm used to working at home. I've written books here and done many podcasts and other things here. And I can t- eat lunch with my wife and take a walk with her every day, which is kind of nice. So um, I'm still in the honeymoon phase, Sam. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about space. But, uh, but I have uh, you know I have the malpractice policy and I have the health policy for the family and I've got the you know I've got the website up. I've got all the the internet backend stuff working just fine. I am still figuring out what exact law practice management software solution I'll use. Right now I'm leaning at Rocket Matter, but haven't made a final decision yet. So, you know, it's really not that hard in 2015 to do this. It's not, is it? I you've what I mean, what other technology decisions are you making at this point? How are you how are you managing your email and calendar? How are you going to be figuring out what you need to be working on and ca- tracking your deadlines, that sort of stuff? Exactly. And and that that I'm still making some decisions on, but I'm a geek. I write books about this stuff. Right. So it wasn't that hard for me to make that jump. I was talking to uh, my friend Ernie Svensson, who, um, you know, he's he's at the ABA Tech Show quite often, and Ernie's, yeah. Ernie's a great guy. And he says, you know, the two things that people have trouble with going solo is, you know, just being able to be sociable and, and land clients. And I don't have any problem with that. I like people. I like talking to people and helping them out. And, you know, the other half, he says, is a lot of people get hung up on you know just the back end technology and business end of it and like i said i write books about this stuff so it's not going to be that hard for me so so what are you using are you uh are you a google back end person or how no. are you okay yeah so i'm i'm using uh, for my email technology i'm using imap uh, mm-hmm. which is just a basic imap server but i have i'm a big proponent of sanebox and um oh, okay i don't know if you've ever looked at them before but they're it's a pretty amazing product tell me more about it well, I guess first I should say they sponsor my podcast, so take it with a grain of salt if you want. But sure. um, I was a user long before that. But So SaneBox is a service that does what we call email filtering. And you know how you wake up in the morning and you could have 70 emails in your inbox? Mm-hmm. Uh, SaneBox will look at the emails. Now, they don't look at the content of the email. I know that's a big deal for a lot of lawyers, but they will look at um, who it's from and what the subject line is. And from there, they do an algorithm, and they'll figure out that some email is more important than other email. And some email may be a newsletter or junk mail or whatever. And in SaneBox, you can set up these folders. So it will go through your inbox and filter it out. So you'll wake up in the morning, and instead of having 70 items in your inbox, you only have five. And you know, magically, those five will be the five that you actually need to deal with. And then there'll be... Uh, lower tier priority uh, folders that SaneBox creates and puts the other stuff in there. And like, for instance, the newsletter folder, I may go through that every three or four days, whereas the second tier folder I go through every day. And SaneBox does a really good job of figuring that out for you, but it also learns. So if you move one from the lower priority to the inbox, and it'll say, oh, if Dave gets a an email from Sam Glover in the future, he's going to have to, this, go, this one goes to the high priority list. Obviously. Yeah. So, but that and that's just one of the things it does. It also has email deferment, which is something that I think lawyers uh, should really think about. Um, you get an email in, and it's something that you want to deal with tomorrow or in two days. You can make a folder that says two days, 
and you just drag the email to two days and it disappears and you don't see it for two days. It's just a really great way to kind of manage your your time and your email load. So so that's my email end. I wrote a whole book on email, Sam. So yeah, no, I, I know, I and I've read it, and time. I love it's really good. Um, the uh, it sounds like that it's also part of a uh, a way to stop yourself from constantly putting out fires, which is uh, yeah. I'll I'll add to Ernie's things. I think yeah, figuring out your time is probably the most difficult thing lawyers have to do because uh, I see. I've seen so many lawyers who are just running from one thing to the next without really stopping to do work planning and figuring out what they need to be doing on a particular day. I can tell you three days in, I already know my biggest challenge is going to be saying no and figuring out what clients I work with and which ones I don't. And how, how do you figure that out, do you think? Or how are you going to? Do you think? I'm not sure yet. It's it's too new for me because I, I'm actually not looking for a law practice that's going to have me working you know 80-hour weeks. In fact... Um, it's quite a bit less than that. I mean, I want to have great clients that pay and give me enough time to give them the treatment they need, but also give me some time to write some more books for the Max Sparky end of my life. So um, that balance is the big mystery to me right now. And I know that you're an OmniFocus user. Is that your work planning tool? Is that how you figure out what to be, what you should be working on from day to day? Yeah. I mean, it's my, it's my task management tool. And, um, and, uh, it's, it, I'm a zealot about OmniFocus cause it just works so well for me. Well, you are. And I, I haven't watched your field guide on OmniFocus yet, but I've, I've seen your sort of teaser video for it. And, you know, I, I am, I'm a devoted remember the milk user. And I know that it's like this tired old user interface, but I just, I just still like it. And I've been looking at OmniFocus cause especially for Mac users, it's like, you know, the Holy grail, it seems like. So, so sell me on OmniFocus. What's so great about it? Sure. It's, um, well, it is a, um, it's a task management application that was designed with the kind of, a lot of the getting things done principles in mind. And for a lot of people that, that might be a negative, you know, you think it's, you know, when, you know, here's comes one of those getting things done freaks to tell me how to do everything. But, you don't need to follow getting things done to use it, but it does have a lot of great tools. So for instance, um, it has what they call perspectives where you can set very specific criteria around which tasks you see and don't see. I mean, just like with the email, Sam, I think one of the biggest challenges is having the right filters in your life that give you the right information when you need it and Mm -hmm. nothing else. Because if you have all of the tasks on your list thrown at you every morning, you're going to just go back to bed. You're not going to bother. Right. But if you can have a system that says, hey, it's Tuesday. Um, this is the day you need to write that expert designation. And this is the day you need to serve some discovery. And this is the day you need to call that client about doing their annual minutes. And you look at that list and you're like, that is a, a good list. I'm going to get that done today. And you just move. And having a system that can do that for you is really key. Another important piece of task management, in my opinion, is a built-in review process. Because as lawyers, we're going to have lots and lots of tasks and lots and lots of projects. I mean, you've got different cases, and within a case, you may have a discovery plan and contracts or whatever it is that you do for your clients, or you're going to have possibly multiple projects per client. And then uh, as a solo, I've got all the admin stuff. But even if you're in a big firm, you've got admin stuff you need to handle. So you've got all these different things you need to handle. Um, it's very easy to start throwing tasks into those projects and just lose track of them 
and go crazy. Uh, OmniFocus has a built-in system that allows you, that basically forces a review. And you can set a review any period you want. Like if I have active litigation, I review that project every week. And if I've got a corporate matter where I represent a, a co corporation and they're not a really active client, I'll review their project once every six months. But the point is, when I open up OmniFocus, is hey, here's the five projects you should review. And I'll go through them and I'll say, oh, you know what? This project isn't even important anymore. I'll just delete the entire project. Or, oh, wait, I forgot about that. I need to take care of that. So, so you've got a system that kind of forces you to review your, what you've assigned yourself. In, in language that non-getting things done people might appreciate, it sounds like it functions as a tickler. Yeah, it does. It could, you could look at it that way. You could is, look at it can you use it with other people? I mean, does it have collaborative no. features? No, it's a single thing. I mean... So ideal for you, but not something you'd work together with if you have staff or a team or... No. I, the way I used to do it when I was working with staff on it is I would um, I would assign things out to a person and like I would have... My secretary would be a context in OmniFocus to use their vernacular and I would send her a PDF of her... What was on her list and then... Oh, so you're she the master list. Yeah, Exactly. Very cool. The gatekeeper. I don't know if that's good or bad because it didn't give her the ability to check them off, but it did let her know that I was, you know, I had a list and it gave her clear instructions on what to do. And maybe that's a good time to ask, are you planning to work with any staff or assistants, whether it's outsourced or in your in an office? Um, yeah, I'm for 20 years, Sam, I've been telling my clients when it, cause I've set up, so, help so many people set up small businesses and the first thing I always tell them is don't spend a penny that you don't need to. Mm -hmm. And they so often they come in and say, well, we're going to buy all new computers and we're going to get the best furniture. I'm like, well, wait, you know, let the business pay for that stuff. Don't, don't, you know, go out of pocket so much before you know it's going to work. And um, so I've got some really great paralegals I've worked with in the past that have said, you know, I'm, I'm there for you, Dave. If you need me, just let me know and I can hire them kind of on a temporary basis. Mm -hmm. And that's my plan. You know, I'm going to kind of just grow that out. And wait, we'll see. Wait and see what you need and then yeah. hire if and when you need it. Yeah. Will you answer your own phone? No, I went with Ruby Receptionist. So I've been, that's that's one thing I was willing to spend money on because, I mean, I think for solos, you don't want a computer uh, phone voice when someone calls. You want them to feel like, hey, this, is, this guy's for real. And um, so I'm in the free trial period. See, this is how early I am. But I, yeah. I, I'm already seeing benefits of Ruby where I'm probably going to be sticking with them. I haven't, you know, I haven't decided yet. But And is that for you because having somebody else answer the phone makes you more professional or because you don't want to be interrupted during your day or something else or all of the above? All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. I mean, for me, it was that uh, I, I used Ruby because I am crabby when I am interrupted. Yeah. And uh, and having Ruby answer the phone is that little bit of buffer that allows me to change my attitude or and say also, no. Yeah, and, you know, it's great. You can just tell them I'm going to be in conference or doing something for the next three hours. Don't interrupt me. Exactly. Uh, what, what are your favorite productivity tools, whether or not you're going to be using them for your solo practice? Wow. I don't even know where to start. I know. I'm just, I, I just went for the yeah. big bucket, and, and we've yeah. already talked OmniFocus, so that one's out. So OmniFocus is definitely a big one for me. Uh, on the Omni train, uh, as a lawyer, over the years, I found a great deal of use for Omni Outliner, which is another Mac-only app. It's just a really top-notch outlining application um, 
for instance, I was just, um, I had a case settle on the courthouse steps recently and it was scheduled for a two and a half week trial and I had many witnesses planned and I had this nice omni outline that had all of my exam outlines in it with references to all the, you know, page lines that I wanted to impeach with and all the exhibits I wanted to get in evidence. And it's just a top notch outlining application in the Omni group that publishes it has a free syncing service. So you can sync easily between the iPad and the Mac and and very in the very short future they're going to have a version on the iPhone as well. So uh, Omni Outliner is a really great tool, especially I think for litigators yeah. or people or people who get a bucket of information. Like you sit in an initial client interview and you're not sure how everything fits, you just dump it in Omni Outliner, then you can start sorting it out. Oh, interesting. It sounds like it. Uh, well, at that point, it sounds like it was substituting as a sort of trial notebook for you. Yeah, it was in, in that regard. In fact, it was more than exam outlines. I had a heading for pretrial conference and a heading for motions and limine and all that stuff. So, And because it syncs so easily, I can access it on my iPad or my Mac. And you know, like when you're sitting at lunch with a client and you can make a few adjustments to their exam outline on the fly on your iPad and you get back to your Mac and they're already synced, that's a pretty nice thing. Oh, and and you're, a, you're paperless, right? Yeah. yeah. ScanSnap? Yeah. And uh, all the way. <laughs> do you I mean, do you, do you do any sharing files with your clients? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, I I haven't got. I, I'm looking into you know kind of shared space with clients. Like over in the past, I've tried like the 37 Signals product and some other things, but it's kind of been my experience that clients don't really want to get too geeky. And mm-hmm. um, so what I've done generally is um is I just email them documents and I have everything kind of organized in my own system. But, you know, I don't know that that's going to be true forever. I've got some younger clients that are kind of entrepreneurial and got internet-based businesses and they want access to everything all the time. So, you know, I had I toyed briefly for about a year and a half, 2 years with uh, representing small tech startups and uh, they basically dragged me over to Google Docs and Google Drive because that's what they wanted to use. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was an interesting experience for me of having my clients dictate the tools that we were going to use, basically. Well, it's funny. I have a client right now who it's a, it's a small technology company, and they run the whole company on Google Docs. Mm-hmm. And but I do all their contract work, and you know we're doing contracts with some fairly large Silicon Valley companies that they have traditional lawyers that want everything in Word. Mm-hmm. So when I send the red lines to my client, I have to send it to them as a PDF. I you know I just spit a PDF of the red lines out of Word so they can read them because Google Docs can't can't oh, handle. Right. Yeah. What they did to me is if if I would send them uh, a draft in Word format, they would just upload it to Drive, turn it into a Google Doc, and share that back with me. And we just moved to Google Docs very quickly that way. Yeah. It was interesting. And, and I don't know um, how quickly other lawyers would switch, but that's certainly what they wanted. Yeah. It makes you wonder about the future of, of Microsoft's, you know, juggernaut. Right. Because a lot of young people now are really not interested in Microsoft Office. And 10, 20 years ago, that was the only game in town. Well, and as a Mac user, I'm uh, it, the way that Microsoft has been so slow to update Microsoft Office makes me want to find reasons not to use it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a Retina MacBook Pro and... Uh, Microsoft Office looks like crap because they haven't even updated it to take advantage of Retina graphics. Not to mention the fact that it's from 2011, which is starting to feel ancient. Yeah, agreed. Although I, I think we've been promised an update this year. Yeah. Which is kind of exciting. 
there and there been it looks to me i mean from what we've seen that they're going to make it much more similar to the windows version like it looks like they're trying to get a baseline to the user interface and if that's the case i'm not sure that's a good thing either i i don't know do you use word or do you favor oh, pages yeah. um i use both i, I find pages uh, th- this is the one that will get angry emails, but I find pages a little more stable for mm-hmm. the stuff I do. And like you, um, Word, you know, Word is like getting in the cockpit of a jet when you load it up. And there's so much on the screen. I just want a, a little more simple interface. In fact, uh, talking about tools in a minute, I'm going to talk to you about text editors because I use them a lot. But, yeah. um, but you know, I'm a business attorney and I share contracts and documents with other lawyers all the time. So you bet I use Word. I mean, that's that's what the industry is works on. I mean, I know some Mac users use pages even when somebody else is using Word because it does a pretty decent job, right? Yeah, it's not good enough, though. That's That's been my feeling as well. And um, so I, I, I prefer to use Word when I'm building a, cons- you know, fairly complicated document like a brief. Um, I, I always kind of like the way it comes out on in Word better, and I hate futzing around with formatting quirks that may emerge when you try to cross platforms. But okay, so tell me about text files because I'm curious. I, I I love text files for writing for my website. I love text files for writing books and white papers, but I never really got into using them in my law practice, even though I tried. So I'm curious as to how do you do. All right, so there's a couple levels here. The first is, you know, I think text is a superior format to Microsoft Word or Pages or any other proprietary format out there. And if you want, you know, my exhibit one for this, try and open a really old Word document or a really old Word Perfect document right. on a modern computer, and you'll find that you you probably lost that text. And when when we say text, we're talking about plain text files. So in Windows. Um, what you get with Notepad or uh, on a Mac, I guess TextEdit can actually do rich yeah. text, but we're talking about just text, no, none of your italics, boldface, none of that stuff. Yeah, So, and I find it liberating to write without thinking about formatting. So mm-hmm. I write briefs and complicated letters and everything else in text. So on the Mac, there's a lot of applications. I mean, there's a rich assortment of applications on the Mac, uh, the one that I probably like the most right now is Byword, and that's, that's my favorite as well. Okay, so and Byword, it's not that expensive. I think it's like ten dollars on the Mac and five dollars on the iPad or in that neighborhood. Uh, but they, um, the people who develop it, really get the whole ecosystem of Apple. So they they use iCloud storage, so I can be in a coffee shop and be working on text for a brief. I get back to the office and on my Mac and the text is right where I left off. It just syncs seamlessly. You don't have to push any buttons or worry about anything. And it works on the iPhone as well. So it's just a great application for writing this text. And then once I get all the text done and I've, you know, fiddled with it enough on Byword, then I'll export it to pages or by, or uh, word and do the formatting or I'll have somebody do that for me. And that's a really great experience for me. Uh, but there's even more to it on the Mac and there's two applications I'd like to talk about. The first one is Scrivener, and it's an application that was developed for the purpose of writing novels. It was a frustrated novel writer who felt like he didn't have any good tools, and so he made he made his own, you know, and a really great guy from the UK. And, yeah. and so Scrivener was made to write novels, but I have found in my um, 
meanderings that it's an excellent tool for writing complicated briefs because it allows you to store research right in the application. Um, for instance, PDFs or Word documents or websites or anything you do as you're pulling together resources to write like a motion for summary judgment. And you've got you know the complaint and all the operative pleadings and discovery and everything stored in this application. And then it's got this nice format where you can create essentially a hierarchy of the arguments you want to make. So you outline your argument like we learned in law school, and then it creates little um, buckets for each one of those points you want to make that you can drop text into. And you can rearrange the buckets, and you can hide buckets and show buckets. So, for instance, a motion for summary judgment, I never write, I write the introduction last every time because I feel like I can't really encapsulate the motion until I've lived with it long enough to write it. So, uh, you know, that introduction bucket is empty until the very end. And you can start building from, you know, the guts out, inside out. And to me, it's a, it's a much more effective way to be productive legal writer. So I've never used Scrivener, but my impression of it is it's more of a um, a construction tool for writing as opposed to a start at the beginning and work your way to the end thing. Yeah, and it assumes you don't need to do that. And, yeah. and so for complicated writing projects, it serves a great purpose. And at the end, you can export it as rich text or you can export it, I believe, to Word. I'm not sure. I think I never so, do. Yeah. Uh, but, or you can just export it as plain text, which is usually what I do, and then I put it into my uh, word processor of choice for formatting. But it's just a really great way to do complicated writing projects, and um, uh, I, I think it's worth checking out. Now, I know they have a version for the PC. I don't know if it's as actively developed as the version is on the Mac. Uh, so, you know, it's with a grain of salt, but it's... Um, it's something special, and it's, it's a, if you're looking for a different way to do complicated legal writing, this may be an answer for you. I even have a Scrivener document where I have accumulated all of my basic form discovery that I use all the time, mm -hmm. and then I can just drag and drop components of it to basically construct discovery. Oh, that's really interesting. That sounds yeah. really smart. Uh, um, I it's my impression of scrivener uh, again i haven't really used it but i've tried it a couple times but looking at the uh um looking at the interface and the videos that they have it looks like the way that you save notes and things is kind of analogous to when we used to do everything on paper having a pile of your your westlaw printouts and your uh your law review articles and your notes and your deposition transcripts sitting on the table in front of you with scrivener you just throw all that next to what you're working on right on the screen right yeah and if you've got a wide screen you know like a 27 inch mac yeah you can have all of your research i always put the research on the left side and the operative text i'm writing on the right side and it's all in one application and it's heavenly um the, um, the other app I'd recommend if you're interested in this is there's a new kind of player in the block. It's called uh, Ulysses. and um, that I use Ulysses, and I actually really love it. Yeah. Well, Ulysses, I think, is somewhere in between ByWord and Scrivener. It's yeah. not quite as complicated. Uh, Ulysses is getting ready to release an iPad app that is just fantastic. So oh, it if looks you're someone, so wonderful. I can tell you, I'm on the beta, and it, it's, it is wonderful. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, so, so if you're a guy who wants to go out and just bring your iPad and kind of work on kind of these more complicated writing projects, you're going to love it. Uh, so, you know, Ulysses and Scrivener are two that I would definitely look at as lawyers. It's a non-traditional application for an attorney that could really up your game. And, and so if you want to write in plain text, 
the key tool that you need to make that work is Markdown. Yes and no. I mean, uh, so now we're going really deep, Sam, in the stack, <laughs> as they say. Um, so, you know, plain text does not allow you to convey bold, underlying, you know, different kind of text formatting. Uh, so John Gruber, who's one of the, you know, he probably is the biggest Mac blogger and also a developer, years ago came up with this this syntax called Markdown, where it allows you to write in plain text, but export it for HTML, and he made it free, so everybody has kind of adopted it. And it's a very simple way to embed, like, formatting into your plain text if you want. The easiest example is to bold text. Like, if you want a bold text, you just put two asterisks on each side of the text you wanted bold, and it's bold. Yep, it's super easy to learn. I mean, it's it sounds like it's complicated, but it's the kind of thing where it's designed to be obvious if you're just reading it. It's designed to look like yeah. uh, look like what it's supposed to be. So it's not, you know, it's not code. It's just really simple markup. Com- computers understand it, but it's readable by humans. Yeah. So it's a it's a great way if you want to embed the formatting. But I I would argue that you don't even need. I wrote a whole book on Markdown, so if you want to learn it, you can go buy it. But um, I would argue that you don't even need to do that to begin with. If you just want to try using these text files, and it's just a the biggest, I think, benefit for a lawyer is it removes the distraction of all the formatting nonsense that happens. Yep. You know, you want to go to write a complicated brief, and all of a sudden you find yourself fiddling with margins, and you know, text formatting and font sizes. You know, get all that stuff off your plate. Just write really great words, and let the formatting be done later. And it's really a return to the way that typesetting used to work, right? You would write yeah. your manuscript. And then somebody takes it and fits it into the format of whatever it's going to be, whether it's a brief or a book or whatever. Yeah. And, and so that's my tools. For big projects, I use Scrivener and possibly Ulysses. I'll tell you, I've, I've really been impressed by that application in the last few months. And then for simpler stuff, I write it in ByWord and then I put it out to pages or Word, depending on the needs. Another thing I use quite a bit over the last few years is mind mapping applications. And that to me was because of the iPad. Hmm. And so I've never really gotten my brain around mind mapping, what it's for, how to do it, what it's useful for. So I've just sort of ignored it. But yeah, uh, tell me tell me what I would use it for and how it's useful and, and what tools you use for it. The, um, I, I did a show. We have a, I'm, I produced the Mac Power Users podcast, I guess I should have mm-hmm. said. And so we spent a lot of time talking about productivity apps. I did one that I think was one of the better shows we did. I called it Cooking Ideas. And the idea was, uh, I know in the way my brain works is I'm not able to say, I'm going to write this important contract or motion today, and I'm going to sit down and outline it and then write it, and it's going to be brilliant. Um, I actually need time in the planning stage. I have to start early and have time to plan it to make it the best possible thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is uh, traditionally I'd start with a piece of paper or an outline, but for some reason mind mapping works better for me, and that's more abstract where you can just put words on the screen and drag them around, and you can connect them and disconnect them. And it just kind of allows... I always get this wrong. It's the left side of the brain, the creative side, or is the right side? I think the right side is the creative side. Okay, so it allows the right side of the brain to kind of engage and play with this stuff. And the application I use for it's called MindNote. It's like ByWord. It's not very expensive. It's on all the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone, and it syncs data seamlessly. So I can start working on a project maybe a week and a half before I write it, and I'll just throw a bunch of words on the screen of the principles I want to state or the, the points I want to make. 
And then maybe I'll spend 15 minutes on it in the first setting, and then I'll just turn it off. And the next day I'll come back and I'll look at it, and I'll have all these great ideas that I didn't have the day before. And the thing just starts to gel for me over time. And by the time I'm done, I've got a, a pretty thorough mind map that, that kind of has a script for what I'm going to be writing in Scrivener or whatever. And uh, the better mind mapping applications use the OPML format, um, Open Processor Markup Language, I think it's called, or Outline Processing Markup Language. I, I Sounds gotta, right. Yeah, uh, but so OPML is an open standard that both outliners and mind mappers can easily read. So once I kind of get to a certain level with the mind map, then I can export it to OPML and I can open it in Omni Outliner. And then I can see it in a linear fashion. And then the left side of my brain can kick in and, and fiddle with it and find what I made a mistake. And then when I'm done with that, I can export it again as OPML and guess what other application opens OPML? Scrivener. So then I just import that into Scrivener and it creates the, those buckets for me. Oh, interesting. And I'm off to the races. So it's just a really good workflow to kind of work through things. Now, if you're somebody who can just sit down and do brilliant work without a lot of planning, God bless you, you know, but <laughs> it's not me. It I sounds like, it sounds yeah. a little bit like how I've described my approach to constructing a roadmap for uh, your argument, whether it's in a brief or at oral argument, is that you need to, you need to figure out how your argument fits together. And it sounds like road, my, my roadmap and your mind map are about the same thing. Oh, in fact, you know, when I have a big trial, my opening statement, my closing statement, it starts out as a mind map. And it's, you know, and and it starts out months before. In fact, those types of things, I start the opening statement mind map as soon as I key upon whether the theme of the case is. So quite often I've got the the opening statement outline going when I'm just a couple months into the case. And plus everybody hates outlining, so this is kind of a more fun way to do your outline. Yeah, it's kind of the hippie way. You yeah. know, but but it's it, it actually I find that it engages me differently. And I, I like putting it in outline format too. My my co-host on the Mac Power Users podcast is Katie Floyd. She's another attorney and she loves outlines and she hates mind maps. And everybody's different, so you gotta use what works for you. But I, I find uh, and I never really connected with mind maps until I started using them on the iPad, sitting on a couch or at a Starbucks or whatever, and just playing with my mind maps, uh, I find very satisfying. Interesting. So uh, I sort of touched on paperless earlier, and I realized I had a question I wanted to ask you about it, uh, because you probably use mind maps to outline your podcasts in detail, and I'm not there yet. So I'm just going to bounce around. Um, <laughs> how do you organize documents in your paperless office? Do you use document management software or do you just sort them out through your file system? Yeah, I just sort them out through the file system, but I use a great application on the Mac. It's just a, it's called Hazel and, uh, Hazel is, uh, is an application that'll look at file names and auto sort them and auto name them. And we could do a whole podcast on it, but it's just a, a really powerful application to do that. And I have a very defined naming convention and backup system. I, I mean, it, basically, my system runs itself, but it, it, it uh, quite a bit of thought went into it. So uh, before I start plugging your products, because I'm going to, um, what is the big advantage for using a Mac for a lawyer? I mean, I, that's a big question, I know. But like, if you had to nail it down to a few points, uh, you know, when you when somebody comes to you and says, "Should I use a Mac or a PC?" What are the real advantages that you 
try to get across? I, I, I would say that um, you should use whatever you're most comfortable with. If, if you really love PCs, then you should use PCs. I, I'm not a huge proponent of getting people to switch platforms, but I do think there are definite advantages if you want to use a Mac. And there's, there is a, you know, the downside is you've got to transition. If you've been using PCs your whole life, there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to learn over again. And nobody wants to do that, especially when they're trying to make a living. But mm-hmm. if you do make the switch, I find that, um, uh, I find that the Mac operating system and the hardware, because they're made by one company, they just work together really well. And, and Apple's kind of cheating in a lot of ways on that because they don't have to make their operating system to work on every iteration of every Dell computer and gateway computer or whatever the computer is. You know, They just have to make it for their hardware. So that makes the target a lot easier to hit. But it does work better. And I like the fact that if I have any problem, uh, six miles from where I'm sitting right now is somebody that works for Apple that can fix my computer for me. I just have to bring it in. Um, but I think the biggest benefit of the Apple platform is the software developers. You know, all these applications I've been talking about, or most of them, my node for mind mapping, Scrivener, uh, Ulysses, Byword, Hazel, all that stuff I've been talking about has been created by teams of between one and five people. And these small developers in the Apple uh, system are so smart, these guys. And and they get these itches that they want to scratch for themselves, and they just take it the extra nine yards. I mean, I wrote a book about paperless, and and it's largely focused on Apple stuff. But you know, people have said, well, I'm on PC. Give me something like Hazel on the PC. And I spent two weeks you know, trying everything out there that was supposed to be like Hazel. Even one of them was a, a flat-out copy. They called it Belvedere. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't even, you know. And, but none of them are as good. And you know, the, the little developers in the Apple uh, system are perhaps Apple's greatest benefit in my mind. You know, there. I I would say there's sort of two things, and I I think I agree with you on both of them. I have spent far less time futzing around and noticing the operating system itself since I switched to Mac. It just it it is it's much more minimalist from the get go, and I just don't need to worry about going to system preferences or you know which is the equivalent of control panel on a PC. Uh, the operating system just isn't there in the same way that it wasn't there when I used Linux, but Windows is always there and you're always having to screw around with it. Um, the other thing is exactly what you just said, the software. Like there, when I was on Windows and switching to Mac, I found it very easy to replace all of the, the few things that I was using on Windows that didn't translate. But now that I've spent a couple of years using a Mac... I would have a much harder time switching back. For example, you and I love Byword. There's no Byword for P- for Windows or anything even like it. In the same way that it's hard to find a text editor for Android that that's any at all, much less a good one. Um, so there's just categories of software that you can't get on Windows, despite the fact that it's this massive thing. Um, and Ulysses and Text Expander and uh, you know, all the little tools, Snagit, the little tools that I love that I use all the time, there's just nothing on Windows for it. And yeah, I could go back and, and I could figure out things out. I didn't miss them before. I pr- might not miss them again, but I think I would. I think I'd have a hard time leaving those things. So, yeah. Um, well, David, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I really appreciate your time. 
before I let you go, I just want to plug some of your products here. Now, uh, we've been talking about David more as a solo practitioner, but Max Sparky is at maxsparky.com, and you should go there if you are a Mac user in particular, because you will learn how to be better, smarter, and more efficient on your Mac. Um, and you should look through his field guides. Uh, David's field guide to going paperless is essential reading. I had sat down to start writing a guide to going paperless, and when his field guide came out, I stopped. I realized there was no point. He's already done it. Um, I may pick it up again someday, but not until yours has gotten stale. Um, he has guides. If you're curious about what we were talking about with Markdown, he has a guide for Markdown that'll get you up and running in no time. He has a guide for doing pre presentations, which um, any lawyer who has ever done a CLE, please, God, read it. Um, and email and so much more. Um, so if you want to learn how to be better and more efficient with your Mac, you should go to Mac Sparky and you should check out his stuff. Sam, and, I, I, I got to tell you, now it's my turn. Yeah, go. I think The Lawyerist is one of the best sites out there for lawyers. I just can't get over the quality of stuff you produce. Thanks, man. That's really nice to hear. I mean, I have like two tiers in my RSS feed for law stuff. And the lawyerist is always at the top, man. I just got to see what you're doing. Thanks, man. And especially well, as I've made these moves recently. Now, it's got even better, more appropriate material for me now that I'm going solo. Well, that's a wonderful love fest that we've ended there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being with us. Check out Max Sparky, everybody. And lawyerist is awesome. Can we just sing Kumbaya now as we go out? Absolutely. I will, All right. I will have our guys add it in. This episode of the Lawyerist Podcast is brought to you by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answered the phones for my law practice for a couple of years. And here's the thing. When I was answering the phone, I was often distracted. I might be in the middle of reading a brief that pissed me off from opposing counsel uh, or dealing with something stressful or that I really needed to focus on. And so the phone rings. It's an interruption kind of drives me crazy and I'm never at my best. That's not the face I wanted to put forward to clients. So when I got Ruby, the whole thing changed for two reasons. First, because uh, the ladies at Ruby are fantastic on the phone. They're cheerful, they're friendly, they're helpful. And what happened is that people would regularly say, wow, I just had such a great experience with your receptionist. And second, because my instructions were that anybody who asked for me by name should be put straight through to me. The way that happens is it's a soft transfer, meaning the first person I hear from is a receptionist from Ruby who says, hi, this is so-and-so from Ruby Receptionists. I've got so-and-so on the phone and they're calling about this. Should I put them through? And so I have the opportunity to say, no, tell them to call this person, tell them I'll call them back later, please take a message, or sure, put them through and I'll talk to them. And just that little bit of buffer meant that by the time I got on the phone, I was prepared for the conversation and I could be in a much better mood. Hiring somebody to pick up my phones and answer my phones for me that is as friendly and professional and helpful as Ruby was one of the best things I did for my practice and for my sanity and productivity. So you should check out Ruby and you've got no reason not to because it's free for 14 days. And if you check them out by going to callruby.com slash lawyerist, they will also waive the setup fee should you decide to stick with them. 
And if you sign up for the trial, they will take good care of you, and I'm pretty sure you will want to hire them in the end. So go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and find out for yourself. Catch us next week for episode 11 when we talk with Casey Flaherty of LegalTechAudit.com, where we'll discuss the importance of lawyer technology competence. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.